Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hi everyone, I hope everyone is doing well. I am going to get into the good stuff pretty much right away, but real quick, how's it going Shay? It's going great. Doing good, how about you? I'm doing good. I am excited to share today's episode with you guys. You have voted this month. So pretty quick, thank you if you did vote. And if you didn't get the chance, there's always a chance for next month. The voters episode will be released for you to be able to choose what out of the three that you would like, three or four that you would like us to cover for the month of August. Shay will be covering that one. And I am super excited. This is going to be a little long because, well, we like to make it that way for the last episode of the month. So, everyone buckle up because today's episode is a very special episode and I am ready to talk about it. Are you? I'm so excited because I know who it is, so I'm so ready. (laughs) Yes. Well, I did get most of my information from rollingstone.com and wikipedia.org. Today, we will be going deep into the late 1890s. So if that didn't give you a hint, oh, well, I'm just going to tell you anyway. So um, this is where dark evil unraveled at the hands of a young 32-year-old woman who claimed innocent lives using an axe. This story is the story of Lizzie Borden. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, so if you voted for that, congrats because it won. But let's go ahead and start. So Lizzie Borden was born in 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. She was born by her father, Andrew Borden, and her mother, Sarah Borden. Lizzie Borden was born and had an older sister by the name of Emma Borden, who we will talk about today. They had another child as well, a daughter, so she would have had two sisters, but they weren't really involved, and I couldn't find much information about who the other daughter was. Whenever they were younger... They had a particular religious family. They attended the Central Congregational Church and were very, very much involved. I don't think her father Andrew was, but the girls um, definitely were. Lizzie and Emma had volunteered on multiple occasions to teach Sunday school to children of recent immigrants of the United States. So people who just came over, they volunteered to teach them um, about their religion. Emma even served the secretary treasurer in the Christian Endeavor Society. And these are just prime examples, but there are certainly not the least of their volunteering and attendance to clubs and groups at the church. They volunteered in very, very many, like a lot of groups at the church. Andrew ended up remarrying another woman by the name of Abby Borden just three years after their birth mother passed away. Lizzie told reporters that she called Abby by the name of Mrs. Borden and not by Abby her name, you know, stepmom or anything like that, but literally by Mrs. Borden. 
and she really believed that she only married her father because of wealth. She wanted to potentially take and inherit his money and his, you know, assets and his estates whenever he passed away. See, her father was English and Welsh, and he struggled as a young man to really make money financially. However, things began looking up for him whenever he decided to go into business selling furniture and caskets. After gaining traction in the business, he saw an opportunity to become a property developer. And so this is when he kind of thought that, you know what, I'm going to buy and own several businesses at the point, at this point, and even was given the title of president at the Union Savings Bank. And director at Derfeed Safe Deposit and Trust Company. So just by this, you can kind of get that back then. I mean, he owned several properties. He was treasurer, director. I mean, he was worth making money back then. Whenever her father actually died, he had a current estate worth 300000 at the time. But if you kind of want a translation to what that really means in today's money, that's about $9 million. Oh my, could you imagine living in a $9 million home? No. That's probably huge. Oh my gosh. I no, imagine. so his estate is like... With oh, the every, whole place. Yeah, like, like still, what is he actually worth? He was worth $9 million. It, well, really 300000 but $9 million for us. That's crazy. So, I mean, could this have been an actual motive to kill her father? Of um, course. People do it for less. Money. Yeah. I mean, people do it for people. less. So, I want to talk about the victims a little bit. In particular, I want to continue on about Lizzie's father, Andrew. Even though he was a like as wealthy as he was, he really didn't show it. Records show that he didn't even have an indoor plumbing inside his home at the time of his death. Even though, like in the late 1800s, it was not common, but common for people who had wealth. It was a stigma. It was to show people how much money you have, basically. And Andrew, like, just decided not to go with it. And so he never had an indoor plumbing system on the inside. He would still... They would still have to use, like, outhouse, I guess. Um, Andrew and plenty of his cousins owned property and resided in, quote, the Hill neighborhood, which was, like, obviously the wealthier side of Massachusetts. I think Andrew did not really keep up with the Joneses, as you will. Could have been, like, a really humbling experience for him and his family, but I'm not too sure if that played out to his best interest because of what like ultimately went down. At the time of the murder, the Bordens had a live-in maid who was 25 years old and she just immigrated from Ireland to the US. Her name was Bridget Sullivan, but she went by the nickname of Maggie. So I'm gonna kind of use Maggie throughout today's episode. During the court trials, she actually had to testify here she told the court that Emma and Lizzie hardly ever ate meals together as a family with her, their father and stepmother. And the relationship with him and with 
Abby was just not great at all. It wasn't a very good relationship, um, but that's kind of as far as it went. From what I could gather, it really sounded like she didn't have much to say, so I don't really know if it was benefiting or not to the defendant's case. I don't think it was. In May 1892, Andrew killed multiple pigeons in his barn with the hatchet because apparently he believed these birds like attracted local children to hunt them. I, honestly, I don't know. That's just what it said. And I'm not too sure what that means or if maybe that was like a local legend or not back then, but definitely strange i don't even know what that means do you even know what that means i have no idea maybe he just did it so that way like maybe he did it so children aren't coming on his property so maybe I... maybe he's killing them before they can get like because they're if kids are trying to shoot them and they're coming on his property to shoot them so maybe he just didn't want them on his land so he was just doing it so they can't come over there Maybe so, honestly. I don't know. I, That's weird. The 1890s is weird, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know because back then, like, people do some weird stuff. So, but whenever he was doing this, Lizzie had recently, like, built a roost for pigeons. So, whenever she found out that her father had been butchering them, it literally made her angry like it, it made her really quite upset like she built it she didn't buy it she built it so whenever she found that her father was virtuing them like it caused a huge argument between them it didn't really go like into death about like what the argument went out to but it was not very good this argument led the girls so emma and lindsay to take an extended vacation in a town called new bedford Whenever they decided the vacation was over and returned to their home, Lizzie actually did not want to go home. So instead, she rented a room for four days and stayed there while Emma went back to her house. This all happened just a week before her father and stepmom's murders. The tension inside their home really skyrocketed and it like skyrocketed fast. The cause was because of Andrew's gifts, if you want to say that, and certain real estate. I believe that would be left to, like, Abby's family. Apparently, a huge argument went down, and supposedly Abby's sister was given a house from Andrew, and the girls became furious and demanded that they have a rental property of their own because, in their minds, it's like, how are you going to give our stepmom sister house but not your own daughter so this caused a huge argument between them just a few days before the murder the family became violently ill so this is right after they returned from their vacation everyone just became really really sick family and friends at first believed it could have been some type of food poisoning from like leftover food or something like that however Abby, the stepmom, believed it was poison from someone who didn't care for for Andrew because he wasn't liked by everyone in the community. So that was like kind of what happened just literally weeks and then days prior to the murder. So let's go ahead and move on to the murders. 
The morning of the murders, everything seemed pretty normal for the Borden family. In the home at the crack of dawn, that morning was Lizzie, Andrew, Abby, the maid, Maggie, and another gentleman who got to stay the night over there, whose name was John Morse. At around 8.48 a.m., John left to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River. Andrew left the home around 9 o'clock, so just about 12 minutes after, to go on his morning walk. John had told Andrew as well that he'd be back around noon to eat lunch at their house. Even though Emma and Lizzie were supposed to clean their rooms because it was part of their chores, Abby decided to go upstairs to the second floor and make their beds for them between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. According to several police investigators, whenever Abby was attacked and killed, she was facing the way of the killer and could have looked her dead in her eyes. Just think about that. That literally gives me chills. That's spooky. Whenever Lizzie took the first blow to Abby, she struck her right on the side of the head with an axe. In doing so, she caused her to turn and fall face down onto the ground. When the autopsy was done, they were able to determine that the contusions on her forehead and nose would have been from falling face first. So that's kind of where those came from. And when Abby hit the, the floor, Lizzie continued with more blows. She delivered 17 hits to the back of her head killing her. I'd like to mention sources say that where Abby was lying when police found her dead, it would have been visible to anyone who came to the second floor. Just keep that in mind for future reference. Andrew arrived back home from his morning run about 10.30 a.m. However, he noticed that the key was getting jammed every time he tried to unlock the door to come inside. He then decided just to go ahead and knock and get someone to open it from the inside. So Maggie quickly came down and she was the one who opened the door. But she really couldn't get it open at first either. Something was wrong with it. She testified in court that she could hear Lizzie laughing from up the stairs but couldn't see her. She could just hear her laughter. Lizzie said that was a lie. And as Andrew came inside... Lizzie testified in court that she decided to go ahead and help him get comfortable. So she removed his boots and helped him slip on his house slippers. He then laid on the couch and took a nap. I'd like to mention that if you had a very strict, like, not good relationship with your father and you just had all these huge arguments, why would you do this? This just doesn't sound normal. Setting him up. She knows what she's doing. Either that or she's just trying to make it seem like like she didn't actually do that she was just trying to suck up to the to the jury and stuff making it seem like she was a good daughter to him yes that's what I that's kind of what I'm thinking I don't think what she's saying is actually true and the crime scene photos like show him this is the reason why really so the crime scene photos that you can find on the internet literally show him on the couch as like dead with his boots on so how are you gonna say that you took his boots off yeah she's she's lying for sure yeah so 
what happened next, according to uh, sources, was that Maggie felt unwell at this time. And this is right before he fell asleep on the couch. So the maid felt unwell at the time. So she decided she'd go and take a nap in her room, which was on the third floor of the house. So my question is, if Abby's body could be seen from anywhere on the second floor, why did Maggie not see her like when she went to the third floor? Because she was involved. It, honestly, but <laughs> she didn't even get charged. I'm kind of conf- this. This just doesn't make sense to me. Like it just seems so weird. Yeah, so there's no way that she didn't see her if you could, and um, and if they didn't have any proof of them moving the body, like of her moving the first victim's body, then there's no way that she just walked upstairs, unless they had a back stairway or something. But I don't know. Yeah, honestly. That's kind of sus. Yeah, that's what I thought. But they didn't really dig into it. I guess they just cleared her as... I mean, she was a suspect at one point, but she was cleared. So, for a reason, I guess. But at about 11.10 a.m., she heard Lizzie calling from downstairs. Quote, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone came and killed him. Unquote. So, you can assume Maggie runs downstairs and... She saw Andrew slumped over dead on the very couch he was napping on. Autopsy confirmed that he was struck 10 or 11 times with an axe-like weapon. Upon finding the body, one of Andrew's eyeballs was literally split clean in two. I hate eyeball things. No. It was literally, like, perfectly split. He was still bleeding out when paramedics arrived, so they knew, obviously, that this attack was very, very recent. And they confirmed that Andrew's time of death was about 11 a.m. The investigation. So, whenever the investigation began, it really didn't start off on the right foot for Lizzie. The police began questioning whether or not her statements were true because she kept changing the script on them. She would change her story, I don't know how many times. Within the first few minutes of the interview, she told the investigators that she heard some type of groan or scraping noise coming from inside the living room area before entering the house. She then told police a few hours later that she actually didn't hear any noises and she entered the house like nothing was wrong. Lizzie was asked, where her stepmother was and she also switched up on that story she first stated that she thought she could have been at a friend's house after receiving a note but then she said she had returned already from the visit with her friends and asked someone to go upstairs to go look for her everyone who interviewed lizzie really didn't like her they stated that she had a bad attitude and didn't really seem too bothered with the death of her father or her stepmom she was quote too calm and poised unquote even with a huge sign such as this they never even really searched her like they never searched her even right after the murder was taking place they never searched her they never searched her clothes or her body for possible blood stains or splatters on her skin and they t- i mean it literally could have and would have happened like from 
literally hitting them with, them with an axe. Like, why would you not search her? I understand it's the 1890s, but, like, they still could have done better than that. That's common sense right there. Yes, and not only that, but they're going to mess up again later on. Oh, gosh. In the investigation. <sighs> so, at the trial, the investigators admitted to the judge and jury that they did a poor job at searching her, and they pretty much failed. And the reason was because at the time, Lizzie claimed she wasn't feeling well, that she didn't feel good enough for them to search her clothes. This shows a true lack of diligence and ultimately a lack in the case itself. If they would have searched her, they could have been like, it could have been the direct key to tying her to the scene right then and there and being the killer. And the investigators did search the house, including Lizzie's room and the basement. I don't think they found any evidence in her room that could have led her to be the killer, but they actually did find evidence inside the basement. They found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. The hatchet head appeared to be the murder weapon because the break in the handle appeared to be fresh and so did the ashen dust. It, to them, to the investigators, it looked like the person put the ashen dust on the hatchet head themselves, making it to look fresh and clean. The police thought someone could have recently put it there, and it most likely wasn't sitting in the basement for some time. But sources say that none of these tools were actually removed from the house, so this is again another area where the investigators mess up. Why would you not remove a possible murder weapon? Instead, they just leave it there in the basement. Because I don't even know. Like, you know, evidence might might help you convict someone. But I mean, who am I? I just talk about I mean, <laughs> who knows? I mean, instead of getting it, we can just let people maybe do what they want with it while we just wait around I guess but yeah that's that's the better idea yeah for sure so the following day after the murders a friend of Emma and Lizzie's came over and stayed the night her name was Alice Russell that night police were actually stationed at the Borden's home to keep an eye on the suspects in the crime scene one in particular noticed Alice and Lizzie enter the cellar carrying a lamp and a slop pail. If you are wondering, a slop pail is what they'd use to like flush the toilet or clean or clean the toilet or clean up slops, messes, like anything that needed to be picked up inside their homes. He said that they then both exited the cellar but Lizzie returned alone to the home and he couldn't make out exactly what she was doing through the window but it appeared she was like hovering over the sink and in my mind if you have a slop pit like a slop pail and you're at the sink you are trying to clean something mm -hmm. the following day August 5th the police conducted another thorough search of the house even the mayor came by to take a look during this search, they looked at all the clothing, all of the cleaning supplies, and confiscated the hatches and the axes in the basement at this time. 
So this was a day after the murders? Yes. So they didn't oh, So now they want the hatchets. Yes. But now she had she had only 24 hours to clean them. That's it. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the next day, Alice entered the house to find Lizzie tearing up a dress. She obviously had to ask her, "Lizzie, what are you doing?" and she explained that it had paint all over it. So she was going to tear it up and then burn it in the fire. It was never determined or not if that was actually the dress she could have been wearing while murdering her dad and stepmom. But fun fact, I mentioned earlier that there was a serious illness that was going around the Borden house. And during autopsy, the, the milk that was inside their stomach was further tested for poison, but it did come back negative. So I just want to throw that out there. Hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the trial. So whenever I begin talking about this, I want you guys to kind of listen closely because I'm going to be throwing different times and numbers out there and you really have to kind of keep up. So Lizzie's trial took place on June 5th, 1893 in New Bedford. The prime point in the trial was the broken hatchet head found inside the home's basement. The prosecutors argued that the killer removed the piece of the hatchet that would have been covered in blood. So this would have been why you found a broken hatchet downstairs. Even though no blood was found on clothing articles inside the home, Alice testified in court that she had seen Miss Lizzie burn a dress over the stove inside their kitchen. So I just kind of want to throw that out there that her friend literally just testified against her in court. I would too, though. Yes, I'm like, ooh, girl. But, I mean, if you're trying to if, convict, if you're my best friend's a killer, I mean, it is what it is. I'm going to do that as well. But, so, Lizzie got up there, and she testified that about 10.58 a.m., the maid Maggie went upstairs and this is when she decided she'd go out to the barn and was gone for about 20 to 30 minutes. That would have meant that she walked back inside the house between 11.18 and 11.28. However, a witness came forth named Hyman Lebensky and said that he actually saw Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m. So, at 11.10 a.m. is when Lizzie called the maid downstairs, yelling and telling her someone had just murdered her dad. That is literally leaving a seven-minute gap between her walking in and her needing help. Seven minutes could have given her the amount of time she needed to kill him while he slept. Another incident was brought into court whenever Lizzie had sought to, to buy puric acid just the day before the murders why would you need puric acid the day before you your parents are murdered because you're planning on killing your parents exactly <laughs> so the jury was sent to deliberate on june 20th and after an hour and a half of deliberation she was acquitted of the murders of abby and andrew as she exited the courtroom she said quote I am the happiest woman in the world, unquote. After the trial, the sisters moved into another home in the Hill neighborhood of Fall River. At the new house, 
they actually called this house Maple Crofts, and they had a huge staff, which have made up of several living maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. And of course, you know, they inherited both Abby and Andrew's money and estates. Because since Abby technically died first, that means that Andrew inherited Abby's money and estates. So then when Andrew died, that means that they were given both Abby and Andrew's money and estates. But, I mean, this is just blowing my mind. Re-talking or revisiting this. I'm speechless. Like, how? Like, how? How... Okay, so you said that she said she was gone for 20 to 30 minutes. Yes. But yet, she was back in at 11.10. So she threw herself under the bus more than once, burning a dress, probably did not have paint on it because what is she painting? Nothing. Because she has she has people that she pays to do that. So why is she painting? Two, oh. there is bloody axes down in the basement no one else was in the house what? so like, so the axes weren't actually bloody there were they were just there was just a broken hatchet head down there that was missing like the part where it could do the damage where like the part of the hatchet head where it actually sliced someone it was broken off so in the court they were trying to 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 say that it was broken off to get rid of the blood at but, the end of Either way, I feel like it would, no matter, if she's killing, if she's, if she actually used the axe multiple times, there's blood all over it. That's not just one part or the other, even if it was one part was away, the part that was left in there had to have something on it. If it was the, if it was technically the murder weapon, if that's what they were saying. Yes, I don't know. Honestly, so the, this, this is like all kinds of messed up. I know, there's like holes throughout the entire case, really. So, like I said earlier, you know how they had that, that big argument about giving money and estate to Abby's family? Well, it still happened because it was still in the will, I guess you would say. Uh -huh. So, they did give Abby's family a lot of, like, estate and money, but the girls really kind of inherited all of it. Lizzie's life wasn't very great, if you would say that afterwards, because everyone within the society really didn't care for her anymore because several people believe she's the one who killed Abby and Andrew. On June 1st, 1927, Lizzie died from pneumonia a year after removing her gallbladder and fought like she failed to be very, very ill after removing it. Hardly anyone attended her funeral and just nine days later, her sister Emma died from chronic nephritis Nephritis. It's inflammation yes. of your nephrons. Okay, so she died nine days later after her younger sister. So she was only 76 years old, and they were buried side by side at Oak Grove Cemetery. Sources say that at Lizzie's time of death, she was worth over $250,000. But having never married and having no children... She decided to leave $30,000 to the Fall River Animal Rescue Group and $500 in trust for care at her father's grave and close family 
and friends received money as well. I think it was around $1,000 each or something like that. I'd like to close it up here and tell you guys the folk rhyme. If you haven't heard it, that like it's combated in membrane of Lizzie Borden. And it was made up of for like skipping rope back in the day. And it goes like this. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing. On the gallows she will swing. Super creepy, right? Ooh, chills. I know. It's super <laughs> creepy. But something that is catchy and it like has a dark and evil meaning behind it, so people really never forget it. I actually wasn't too familiar with the second verse, so I just... That's pretty interesting. But that basically wraps up today's episode. What did you think, Shay? I think it's so crazy. Like, nobody has even, like, solved it. Because, I mean, they never even arrested anybody for it. So I feel like money was very involved in this and paying some police officers off. And I don't know, because I've heard this story before and I've heard, like, some say that they don't think she did it because there's all this backstory or whatever, but no one knows. It's the 1890s. Like, none of us were there. So, I, I don't know. I think it's insane to me. But you, great job. Thank you. I, I, I don't know. No one knows, obviously. You can only read and kind of make your own exception and, like, your own idea in your head. But I definitely think that if it wasn't just Lizzie, that Emma was both involved. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed it, and the new voters episode link will be posted again August 1st on our Facebook page at Texas Chick Who Talk Murder. So make sure to vote this coming month. Get your vote in. And thank you guys for tuning in, as always. I love sharing this episode. It was very fun to research. I've seen several movies and documentaries over this one. Love it. actually want to go see the home. You can actually Airbnb the home um, that they used to live in. So feel free to go check that out too and tell us how, if you like it or not. So we love you. And as always, remember to stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye.